Hey, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Luke's Gospel. Uh, We're going to finish, conclude today what we had entitled the Flood Series. We just wanted, once the flood took place at this location, to provide encouragement, hope, perspective, and all the things that might be needed in order for you to understand kind of what God was saying and what he was up to. For many of you, this was your third time in a flood situation. For some of us, it was our first time. But for all of us, how many of you know it can be a challenging time? And so we wanted to answer some questions and just use it as a springboard to understand God's ways in a tough situation. And so we've been doing this. And, uh, and, and then, of course, the great tragedy of Las Vegas took place. And it was on my heart and mind. And we, we dealt with that some last Sunday. We entitled that message, Why the Hedge Gets Lifted. And we talked about, and just by way of review, as you'll recall, that a hedge is God's supernatural protection over his people, over individuals, over a nation, over his church. God at times puts a supernatural hedge of protection and favor, which you may not even realize. In fact, most of us, I'm afraid, in America in general, has forgotten what the blessing of the Lord means. Now, we'll say, God bless America, won't we? Every politician at the end of their speech will say, and God bless America. Or some tragedy will happen, and the president shows up. And these aren't, these aren't political statements. These are just observations. And we will invoke the name of the Lord. We will talk about God and, and, and God's blessing and God healing and God helping and and, and those things have an appropriate place in understanding that God is compassionate and He is merciful and He wants to reach people and He wants to help people. But we've got to understand that just invoking His name into situations does not necessitate an obligation on God's part to do what we think He needs to do or maybe that we're even understanding what it is that God is doing. And right now America is in a really tough moment. Because we have thumbed our nose at God in so many ways and we want to invoke His blessing, but I maintain because of some of the natural disasters that have been taking place. And again, how many this week have been watching what's going on in Northern California? I used to live in Northern California. I lived in the Oakland area, so I know Napa Valley. I know these areas. And uh, to know right now in San Francisco, people walking outside can't even breathe the air. They have to wear air masks in San Francisco from the fires in Napa Valley because it's affecting lungs and health. Now, say what you want. We are living in some really strange times. So between the natural disasters and some of these fires, they may be man, maybe, maybe a man started it. We don't know. We know sometimes fire starts just because however fires start. But we also have then the depravity of man, the Las Vegas shooting and other things. And so we talked about last week And if you didn't get the message, you can always go to YouTube or Legacy Media SC and you can pull up these messages and you can hear them and some of my thoughts in this area. But we talked last week about how the hedge needs to be lifted. Or it doesn't need to be lifted, but God has lifted the hedge. And so he's lifted the hedge primarily through sin or rebellion. And uh, all these are indicators that God is doing something 
uh, by way of, of trying to get our attention. But there's another aspect of hedge lifting which warrants a full message. So I want to talk about why God lifts the hedge, and it's actually the second part, part two, and we've called it Unveiling Your Heart. Why God Lifts the Hedge, part two, Unveiling Your Heart. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, and I want to begin reading in verse 31. Luke 22, beginning with verse 31, and I want to read to you a familiar portion of Scripture. 22 and 31, it should be on the screen up ahead. This is what we read. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and and to death. But then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. Why God lifts the hedge, unveiling our heart. I want to talk about part two as to why God does this in our life. Jesus tells Peter what I would call the inside scoop. Uh, Satan has made a request to sift Peter. Satan has requested a sifting to take place. Now, I want to define sift. I'm, I'm, I used to have uh, sort of a, a, my own monitor in the back to know if something was on the screen. So I'm, I'm probably going to turn around a little bit more in order to do this teaching time. But I want to make sure we all understand what I'm attempting to communicate here. Sifting. Sifting is a process that removes lumps or large particles from a substance. Sifting. Sifting is to examine thoroughly in order to isolate something that's important. Now, for those of you that are maybe a little older, maybe the ladies more than the men, you may remember, and maybe it's still used today, when you bake, how you put flour, what do they call those things? Is it a sieve? It's a sifter. Oh, a sifter. There's the technical name for it. It's a sifter. Okay. And, and I remember it had a handle on it that you would almost make it do one of these things. And what you would do is you would cause the flour, any lumps in the flour or clumps in the flour, it would go through that sieve or that sifter and, and it would make the flour of the same substance, removing those large particles. I know, uh, for example, prospectors years ago, and you can still go to some theme parks that have that old-time prospecting, you would get sort of a pan with a screen at the bottom and you'd fill it up with, with mud and then, then you'd kind of run it through water and shake the pan at the exact same time. And what it would do is it would sift the mud or sift the large particles and hopefully if you're prospecting for gold, it would leave the gold in the bottom of the pan. Are you following me right now what I'm talking about when it comes to sifting? Archaeologists do something similar. Archaeologists have these big boxes with screens on the bottoms and they'll dig there in the Middle East, let's say in Egypt, and they'll dig things out and they'll put it in the big box. And then the box will shake and it'll sift the dirt out of it in order to leave anything of significance or importance. All of these are concepts when it comes to sifting. Now imagine for just a moment that God says, I'm going to allow the enemy to put you in some kind of a box that's going to shake you up and you're going to move through that box and I'm going to sift out whatever it is 
that I want to get a hold of. Sifting. Okay? In fact, the word sift, I looked it up in the Greek. In the Greek language, it literally means to agitate one's faith. Sifting. To try your faith to the limit. Have you ever felt like your faith's been tried to the limit? I am, I'm in a situation right now, and I, you know, I have faith, but I am being tried to the limit right now. That you may be sifted at this moment in order to see what perhaps you can't normally see. Now it's interesting, when Jesus begins to tell Peter that Satan has asked for him to be sifted, that Peter is unsurprisingly, at least to me, confident that he's well able to meet what's about ready to take place. In fact, this is what Peter says. He says to Jesus, he says, hey, hey, you can sift all you want. I'm kind of reading between the lines. You have to have sort of a degree in Greek to know this. But I'm, I'm, so I'm reading between the lines. Peter is saying, hey, listen to me. You can do what you want. Anything can happen. I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. It often reminds me of the two guys that when they were uh, asking to sit by Jesus' side at that particular moment, uh, James and John, Jesus looked at him and said, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? And, and the guy said, yes, we are able to be baptized with the baptism you are baptized with. And Jesus goes, then you shall be baptized. Not realizing that he's talking about, are you willing to go to death like I'm about ready to go to death and suffer what I'm about ready to suffer? And they're, they don't need, they're, they're clueless. James and John are clueless. Peter is the same way. I don't know, it's kind of funny and amusing at one point, and then it also is very identifiable because all of us in this room, if God were to come to us and say, hey, I've got something and something's going to happen, and I wonder how many of us would say, yeah, I can do this, I can handle it. And the whole time the Lord's going, you have no idea what's about ready to hit you. No idea whatsoever. And that's what Peter's saying. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die for you. But Jesus sees something in Peter that he can't see. He knows Peter is about ready to do something that even Peter doesn't think he's capable of doing. And Jesus said, FYI, Peter, I'm just here to tell you that before the cock crows this day, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, Jesus sees things that we don't see. We don't even believe about ourselves. So the point I'm making here is that it is true that God knows your heart, but you might not always know your heart. Have you ever heard, and, and I, I hear this a lot, people will oftentimes say, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, God knows my heart. And it's true, God knows your heart. But it's interesting how people will say that usually when they're being challenged or maybe corrected or rebuked, and they'll say, they'll say, hey, listen, listen, I don't know what you think, but God knows my heart. And it's true, God knows your heart. But you may not know your heart. Remember the, 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 the principle of, of picking out specks and not knowing there's logs? How many of you know? Sometimes it's easy to see someone else's specks, but we don't see our own logs. And this is the whole point of sifting, I think, at times, is that sometimes we get sifted in order to, to pull out that log that's sitting in our own eyes. God knows your heart, undoubtedly, but you may not always. I don't think we know ourselves as well as we think we know ourselves. And uh, when we are sifted, there comes a moment 
when our vision concerning ourselves gets clear. You see, you're not being sifted because God doesn't know what's in your heart. You're being sifted in order that you might know what's in your heart. If there's any blind spot, if there's any deception, if there's a veil that's over your eyes, if you're not seeing your life correctly, the sifting reveals the part that we need to see. Now listen, this is the part that we needed to get to that I really wanted to zero in on. America and the American church is being sifted. These are days we are being sifted. The crises we are facing is meant to unveil things that we're unwilling to see unless the crisis had occurred. The sifting is occurring because a hedge is being lifted. When there are breaches in the hedge or when a hedge is being lifted, crisis has the ability to reveal our true character. Amen. When the hedge is being lifted, it's okay. Because you don't want to stop a potty stop. <laughs> I guarantee you, you, how many of you know, you don't want to stop a potty stop. There's no way to get through the hall, so it's okay. We love our kids. We, we don't want them to have accidents. All right, so all is good. Hear me, though. Crisis has the ability to reveal what we can't see normally. Christ, listen, I had somebody tell me this one time. Crisis doesn't create your spirit. It reveals your spirit. Because the moment Peter is facing crisis, all of a sudden what he didn't think he could do, he does. It took some heat to his life in order for him to see exactly what was inside of him. And I believe, this is what I believe, I believe that, that the hedge that there was, there was a conversation that went on between Satan and the Lord, and a conversation went on, and the hedge was lifted, or it was opened in some capacity, however that works in the spirit realm. It was opened up, and crisis was able to get in there, and all of a sudden that crisis unveils to Peter that which he never knew was in his heart. Now, I, I just want to tell you, from my vantage point, I have learned the most. I don't learn much in blessing. Okay, I, well, let's just, do you, really? I don't think people in general learn much with a blessing. I think when we get a blessing, we enjoy it. We rejoice in it. I'm glad God gives them. Uh, and I've received many, many blessings, and hopefully you have too. But when I learn, I learn in crisis. That's when I learn. That's when I begin to see. That's when I find out if everything I believed works that's when i begin to find out what's really inside of me when the heat gets put on isn't it true isn't it true that you think you're a patient person until you're driving from somerville to charleston at about 7 30 in the morning then we'll find out really if patience has worketh its way in you i don't know because i'm telling you it doesn't take being cut off in traffic or somebody just and you know what, and, 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 and I'm, I'm getting better at this. I really am getting better at this because I used to do this too, that if, if I was in the car and cars were moving slowly, I'd play with my phone. But I've become so aggravated at phone players in busy traffic that I just put my phone away because I say to myself, come on, let's just, we gotta get, we gotta, we gotta get somewhere. So, so that's a silly analogy, but crisis reveals what we won't normally see. 
And America right now is in crisis because America refuses to see what it should see when it's functioning in blessing. When America gets blessed, we ignore God. When crisis comes, we cry out to God. Why won't we cry, cry out to God when we're under blessing? It's what people do. I see it happen in church life really a lot of times. I see people who are in crisis and they'll make their way back to church and that's a good thing. So I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. That's a good thing. And, and in their crisis, they cry out to God and they want God's help and help me see and help me change and help me do what I need to do. And God, in His magnificent uh, uh, patience and kindness and gentleness works in their life and he blesses them and he gets them on their feet again and he maybe gets them a great job and he restores maybe a marriage and he does all of these things and as he prospers then all of a sudden in their prosperity they wander away from God again why is it that it takes crisis to awaken us it ought not be that way, but unfortunately it is that way. And for America that was birthed under a covenant with God, that's what's happening right now in our nation. And unfortunately it's happening in our church as well. God is allowing a sifting to take place so we might see what we're made of. And I don't see any stopping in the near future. Now that's not to scare you, but it is to just hopefully... Uh, awaken us all that we need to be sure that if God is allowing sifting to take place that we say then Lord sift me let me see so I can deal with that thing that needs to be dealt with now I believe what happened to Peter with Jesus is very close to what took place with Job uh, in the first chapter now I want you to turn if you have your Bibles turn back right before the book of Psalms to the book of Job Job chapter 1 and I want to read to you a passage of Scripture in Job chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, that uh, I think is closely related to what was going on in Peter's life that I read to you in Luke's Gospel. Job 1, verse 6. It says, Now, there was a day when the sons of God, meaning really angelic beings, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and from on the earth and from walking back and forth on it, then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You bless the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, I believe this passage, as strange as this passage is, because I have wrestled with the book of Job, and I have even wrestled to some extent with this conversation that Peter's having with Jesus as Jesus reveals to him this conversation that's going on in the heavenly realms. And again, it's evident to see here that Satan and God are having this conversation and they're having this conversation over a person, a, a, a generally decent, good, God-fearing person. And in this conversation, ultimately what happens is, is that God allows the enemy... And this is one point that you just have to trust God's sovereignty. 
that there may be moments that God allows the enemy to work things in our life in order for other purposes. Even the enemy can be used for God's purposes. That's just how great God is. That's why it said in Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him and are called according to a purpose. That means whatever you're facing right now, God can cause it to be used for something good. Amen. So you may be in the best of times or you may be in the worst of times, but this is the good news. God, who is sovereign, can use this moment for something good. And so obviously there's this conversation going on and God allows a breach to take place or the hedge to be lifted for the enemy to work some things out. Now I know in our charismatic mentality that really rips, really pushing us to our limits. I get it. I understand it. And we're going to talk a little bit about this in just a second because you know what? I'm not here to be a charismatic. I'm here to be a Christian. I'm here to believe God's word, all of it. Wherever it leads me, there I go. I had to do that years ago when I started believing that, that the work of the Holy Spirit was for today. I grew up in a church where the, they didn't believe that all the works of the Holy Spirit were for today. But that's what God's Word said. And so I went with where the Word went. And so that, that's what we're, we're, we do here. We go with where the Word goes. And we try to apprehend what it is that God is saying. And at this point, I at least have two passages of Scripture which seem to indicate that God and the enemy are having some kind of conversation that I am not included in. And they're looking at my life, and there's a moment that a hedge might be lifted for reasons that I might not thoroughly understand yet at this moment, but I'm going to tell you some possible ones. What you need to know if the hedge is lifted and you're being sifted. This is what you need to know because I'm here to tell you everybody, I believe, gets sifted at some point. The reason being is because we won't see it any other way. And so we're sifted. It's not for your destruction. It's for your benefit. It's, it's not to take you out. It's to take you up. It's not to hold you back. It's to open up doors to destiny. Peter's sifting wasn't to knock him out. It was to make him a world changer. So do you understand that the sifting that's going on in your life, even if God, for whatever reasons, has allowed the enemy to do some things, ultimately it's being used in your life to get you to a place that is beyond your wildest imagination and the destiny God has for you. Now, let's talk about this. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and apparently he can even do his accusing before the face of the Lord. Because here in the book of Job, we kind of see a little bit more than we do there in the Gospel of Luke. But God is apparently bragging on Job. Wouldn't that be cool if the Lord was bragging on you? Hey, have you noticed my servant here? Have you noticed, I'll just, you know, hey, have you noticed my servant Kevin here? Man, I like him. Wouldn't that, put your name in there. Wouldn't that be cool? He uses your name. Look at my servant here. I mean, they're just, there's none like them. On all the earth. And he's, and he's bragging. And this is what Satan does. Satan goes, well, why, why shouldn't you brag on this servant? Look at all that you've done for him. I mean, you've given him a beautiful wife. You've given him a great, you've given him a great family. You've given him, you know, a, a great people, a great church. You've given him, oh, look at all these blessings. Sure, he serves you. You've done everything for him. But you take away any of that from him and he'll curse you. Now, why would Satan say that? It's because he's watched a lot of us. He knows. And God says, you know what? I don't think so. 
And, and so within limits, the Lord says, all right, all right, we're, we're going to see. We're gonna, I'm going to let the hedge be lifted within limits, and uh, we're going to find out what happens. And this is what needs to happen maybe in all our lives. Maybe, maybe it gives some awareness as to why you're walking through what you're walking through at this moment. But, but there are just a couple of things that leapt out to me as to why this hedge is being lifted in America why this hedge is being lifted over his church, why even God's people, it seems like, have some hedges that are being lifted. What in the world is going on at this moment? I'm going to share just a couple things here quickly. Number one is this. Satan identifies world changers. Jesus said to Peter these words. He said, Satan has targeted you, Peter. Satan has asked permission to sift you. Now, I got good news and I got bad news. If Satan targets you, here's the good news. You're a threat to him. The bad news is you're, you're still a target. This is the scoop. Sometimes the greatness of your adversity is an indicator of the greatness of your destiny. Sometimes those who face the greatest challenges are those who have the greatest possibilities uh, yet to be fulfilled in front of them. I'll never forget Mike Ware who's uh, one of my overseers, Mike Ware, one time said, he said, every overnight success took 30 years to get there. I like that. Because those 30 years were full of adversity and challenge that nobody ever knows about. We all, you know what, this is, this is a true story. You know Colonel Sanders, and we see Kentucky Fried Chickens, I think they were more prevalent than they are today, but there was a time Kentucky Fried Chickens were everywhere. Colonel Sanders is this multimillionaire, and nobody realizes that Colonel Sanders wasn't Colonel Sanders till he hit his 70s. The, he faced incredible adversity before this open door of this amazing franchise began to take place. Sometimes the greatness of your destiny is linked to your current adversity. You see, Satan will never target the compromised. He doesn't have to target the compromised because they're compromised. He targets those who have the possibility of doing great things in God. He targets the passionate, not the lethargic. He targets the ones who are committed, the ones who walk in truth, not the apathetic. He knows that sin leads to its own end, and that is destruction. He doesn't deal, you know, you have neighbors right now, and you know they're heathen. I mean, I don't, you know, you're, they're just, they're in sin. They don't care about God. They're away from God, and they just, they don't want anything to do with God. And it seems like their life's going pretty good. Why is it? Why is it that their life seems to go so good? But here I am trying to serve God, trying to be in the will of God, trying to do what I know is right. I'm trying to be righteous. I'm trying to do all these things. Why is that? It's because your neighbor is no threat to darkness. You are a threat to darkness. And the question is whether or not you will maintain your threat status in the kingdom of darkness or whether the sifting will cause you to bounce out of the pan. Satan identifies world changers. Now, I know that doesn't help you when you're going through it. But there are times when I'm in adversity, I say to myself, well, praise God, there must be great plans because I sure seem to merit a whole lot of time from the enemy. Number two, you need to remember that God has confidence in you. He's bragging on Job. The enemy said, yeah, but, you know, if you take it away, he'll turn from you. And God said, no, I don't think so. Can you imagine having that kind of confidence? That the Lord would say, no, I don't, I don't have to keep them under this force field. I don't have to keep them 
in this playpen. I don't have to keep them in their crib. I can actually let them experience the adversity and the fury of hell itself, but they will stand in that adversity. That's pretty amazing. Could God say that about you? Could you take on the fury of life? And for God to be able to say, you can throw anything at them, and they aren't going to throw in the towel. God's bragging on Job. Even Jesus looked at Peter, and he said this, Peter, you're going to stumble around here. You're, you're, you're really not going to come out of this perfect. But this is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, but when you return, you'll strengthen the brethren. Even Jesus knew that Peter was going to come back. It, it, wouldn't that be, yeah, yeah, some things are going to be thrown at them. And, and you know what, I don't know. How exactly it's going to shake out, but this much I know, that they're with me all the way. That's what the Lord is saying. They're going to be with me. I've often thought if God does that with churches. I know there's a couple bodies represented here, and, and we're, we're learning to be one body. And so pretty soon we'll probably just refer to ourselves as the church. But I know there's a couple bodies here that have experienced some adversity. Have you ever thought that maybe something was going on in the heavenlies and, and, and God was walking along and uh, the sons of, of God came up, the angels, and Satan found his way in there. And he's kind of looking at them all. And he said, hey, have you considered my church legacy? Or have you considered my church abundant life? Have you considered it? There's none like them. I mean, these guys are all out. Man, they've gone through a lot. It's been tough. But have you considered all that they've gone through? And Satan says, well, of course. Look what you've done. You've, you've healed them. You've blessed them. You've, you've had these moments in their life and you've given them mountaintop moments but i'll tell you what if you lift the hedge off them you're going to find out that they're only in it for what they can get from you and god says no 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 i don't think so i think i think there's enough of them that if the hedge was lifted there'd be people that got sifted and then we'd find out we'd find out who's in it for who's in it and who's in it for only what they get from it the american church is getting sifted and the hedge is being lifted to see what we're made of and why we're in it. And I'm telling you, it's, not, it's no longer about size or budgets or anything else. It's about whether or not we will land with God in righteousness and truth. His church is being sifted. Will we stand with the Lord no matter what? And the Lord is saying for some, and I'm glad I'm going to be a part of that some, He says to the enemy, I'll take that bet. I'll take it. Because he has confidence in us. He has confidence in us. I want you to hear this. God has confidence in us today. I believe this. In this place right here. I mean to send three floods and all that he's done. And here there's a people still gathered. How many of you know God has confidence in us? Nobody's throwing in the towel. I remember when I mentioned this was several weeks ago. That we don't know that another flood might not yet take place. And even Doug mentioned it as he was sharing. We just don't know. There could be another flood. But how many of you know, we're still going to be here. And God has confidence in that. And people will say, you're stupid, you're silly. Job's wife told him to curse God and die. You're stupid for serving God like you do. And Job wouldn't listen to it. And we're not going to listen to it. Getting my oomph back again. Number three, we need to remember that God is good no matter the circumstance. You know, we oftentimes define good in our own terms. But God defines good on His terms. 
doesn't matter what kind of day you're in right now. If you're in a challenging day, God is good. This is what Job said. Job said, though he yet slay me, still will I praise him. Though God's hand may seem adverse at the moment, I'm still going to praise him. God's good no matter what. It doesn't matter what comes my way. He still gives me the breath in my lungs. He still gives me the ability to enjoy life. I still have so many blessings. It's beyond comprehension. It doesn't matter what my challenge is for the moment. God's still good despite my challenge. Those are people that God has confidence in and looks at the enemy and says, we can move the hedge, but they shall not be moved. God is good no matter the circumstance. Number four, crisis exposes imperceptible weaknesses. I've already said that a crisis doesn't create you, it doesn't even define you, but it will reveal what's inside of you. When the heat gets applied to our lives, stuff that is buried way down deep inside, hidden things come up. They bubble to the top. And so every now and then, heat has to be applied because the heat comes, and we should say, I didn't even know that was in there. I, I didn't know that this was even a part of me. I really thought I was on target, but all of a sudden, this crisis comes, and it's exposing something I didn't even know was there. Isn't that true with Peter? He got the heat put on him and he folded. Now hear me, both with Job and with Peter, I think they were ostensibly the same things. Uh, Job would say in Job chapter 3, uh, I'm not sure, I think it's verse 25 somewhere in there, I didn't mark it down, Job 3.25 somewhere in there, he says, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. And this is what Peter, I believe Peter was the same thing. When the heat got applied, now in, in the peace of hanging around Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, listen, man, uh, you're going to get sifted. And Peter says, hey, I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. And what Jesus knows is that when the heat gets applied, no, you won't. You'll cuss and you'll deny me. Now hear me when I say this. When we're under peace, it's easy to think, oh, I, I think I could walk through that. I think I could do that. When the heat comes on, that's the moment fear is exposed. Because we're in the middle of this adversity and the fear takes over. Listen to me when I say fear. Fear is the greatest snare probably any of us will ever face. Fear is when we jump out of our trust room and we jump into another room where we're willing to believe the circumstance more than we're willing to believe God. See, there comes a moment when you say you trust God there comes a moment in life that will find out if you were telling the truth or not. Some adversity will come your way, and at that moment, that adversity will expose whether or not your heart, which you would... And because everybody, when they, when they say, oh yeah, I trust the Lord, I do, I trust God, I believe in the Lord, I, I trust Him, and, 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 and I don't believe you're lying on purpose. Nobody lies, I think, like that on purpose. But the fact of the matter is, you don't really know if that's true until something hits the fear mechanism. And when the fear shows up, then all of a sudden you're at the crossroad. Do I trust what I see or do I trust what he said? So that crisis is exposing something good in the sense that if your fear is being tripped it can be exposed and you can deal with it and you can fall back into the, into the arms of God and say, God, I just found out that really my trust levels weren't nearly as, as 
deep as I thought they were, and I'm just declaring it again. I choose to trust you. And every time you prevail over a crisis, you are stronger for the next one that may come your way. And so we, we, we press our way through crises. And that's life. This is a fallen world. We talked about that last week. We live in a fallen, fractured, dysfunctional, sin-wracked world. And so we will face crisis, but we face a crisis, we win, and we're stronger. We face the next crisis, we win, and we're stronger. And yeah, it seems like that's all we face is crisis after crisis, but you're prevailing. You're moving forward. You're pressing into a destiny. It enables you. It enables you to take on whatever God has for you and receive it in a way that it can be handled godly and appropriately. That's why David, when he was in a sheep field and he faced the crisis of a lion and a bear. I mean, here's this young guy, and it's a crisis. Here's a bear. Here's a lion. They're coming to eat my sheep. What do I do? I'm scared. I'm not as big as a lion. I'm not as big as a bear. But I've got to learn how to take on a bear and a lion. And he kills them, and he protects the sheep. And it was a crisis. And maybe he was fearful, but he pressed through his fears. And God helped him to prevail. And all of a sudden, it prepped him for that moment on the war fields of Israel when he saw Goliath, that he was able to say, wait a minute. I faced a bear and I faced a lion. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes now to taunt the army of the living God? He's not, he's not so big that he'll beat me. He's too big for me to miss to take him out. Hear me when I say this. There's going to come a day that God will provide a moment for us that we'll look at that moment and we'll say, what is that moment? We've been through flood. We've been through construction. Some of us have been wandering around in wildernesses for four or more years. We've been through some things. We've prevailed through these things. What is this moment? What is this uncircumcised moment that seeks to take me out? You can't take me out because I prevailed over my fears already. Amen. Crisis exposes these things. Let it be exposed. So we can be made not just better, but we can be made stronger for what yet comes in front of us. Number five, God never allows more than you're able. I know that's hard to believe. Because there have been times I've been before the Lord in the middle of a crisis and I've said, Lord, I know you said that you, 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 it says no temptation beyond what you can bear. But I'm here to tell you, Lord, that we are right on the edge. I mean, I'm just telling you. I mean, I get, I believe your word to be true, but I'm telling you we're on the edge and I just want to let you know this. And you know what? There are times that God said, no, that's not really your edge yet. I know you don't. I know this isn't the stuff that we can just shout about, but this is the stuff that's really, really scriptural. That we're going to be pressed at times in our crises. You see, we think we have an edge and then all of a sudden we find out I got another edge out there. And what it's doing is it's causing you to trust deeper, to trust more, to exercise your faith, to believe that you can prevail, that you are an overcomer, that God, that God is who he says he is. And I understand you say to yourself, why would he do this to me? It's because he has confidence in you. 
Hear me when I say this. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. That's what the Bible says. He has confidence. He says, I dwell in you. The fullness of who I am dwells in you. You can experience and do a whole lot more if, you would, if, if you're pushed just a little bit. You'd be amazed at the miracles because, you see, you're, ne- you're not going to get miracles when all is well and everything's perfect and nothing's happening and everything's in its place. You don't, you don't even think about miracles. You don't want a miracle. You don't need a miracle. Miracles happen is when you're on the edge and you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure I can take much more of this. How many more times must the water come? How many more times do I have to go to the doctor? How many more times... Do I have to hear this report? How many more times? How many more times? God, I can't take much more. And the voice of the Lord will say to you, I'll never let more come to you than I know that you're, than you're able to bear and take. You don't think so. He knows so. Who do you trust, you or him? If you are in the heat right now, whatever you're facing, if you're in the heat, know this, it's not more than you are able the Lord has already set a limit. He set a boundary. He knows exactly where you can go to, and he will not let you go past that point. Now, I realize your point is a few feet in front of his. But it's his point, not your point. He knows. Trust him in these matters. Number six, God knows outcomes. God knows the outcome for America. And this is the part really that concerns me because I read the book of the Revelation and I see no indicator in the book of the Revelation that America's around. I could be wrong. But my sense is America has hardened its heart as a nation. I'm not saying all people, but I'm just saying as a nation as a whole, we have hardened our heart. We, I, I read the other day. Now, again, it doesn't matter to me about housing allowances and uh, these sorts of things, but the Supreme Court upheld a challenge to a minister's housing allowance. Now, that, it's not the end of the world. It's not going to stop or hinder the gospel. But I'm just saying, I am watching the signs almost on a weekly basis of greater hostility and adversity being applied to the church. It doesn't happen in big swings overnight. It happens methodically, incrementally, almost imperceptibly. But there's, there's hostility and adversity coming towards the shepherds. Let me, let me tell you this. You strike the shepherd, what happens? You scatter the sheep. So it, it, it didn't surprise me. And, it, and it's going to be upheld. And so I'm going to be paying more taxes. All right, well, I'm cool with that. That's fine. I'll pay, my, I'll pay taxes. It isn't going to stop me. It isn't going to stop the gospel. All right, I, I get it. Because the government's not my source. God's my source. So take away my housing allowance. But there'll be a day they'll probably take away my house. They may take away our churches. They may take away all kinds of things. The question, here's the question. God knows, God knows the outcome, and are we willing to endure the adversity? Jesus knew the outcome of what Peter would do. He said, nope, you're not, you're not going to do so hot in this test. But here's the good news. You will return, and out of this you'll learn a lesson, and you'll strengthen the brethren. God knows outcomes. He knows the outcome of your life, too. Now, I know we have certain outcomes we want. I got that. But God knows the outcome. My life is not my own. When I gave my life to Jesus, I understood that my life was no longer my own. I've been crucified with Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself up for me. Kevin Baird really no longer exists. 
Jesus exists in me. He gets to own me. He gets to use me. He gets to do what he wants with me. And when he's done with me, he'll take me home to be with him. That's good news, people. That's what the church is all about. The church isn't here to enable you just for your best life now. The church is here to remind you that your life is not your own. It's for the purposes and the plans of God. And whatever breath He gives me, whatever time He gives me. And you know, I was born with a, a pulmonic stenosis. And so I'm, I'm aware, there are moments I'm aware of saying, well, Lord, I know that this pulmonic stenosis that I was born with could, could prohibit the length of my days. That's a possibility. And God, you healed me from that early in my life, but the residual effects of the stenosis still exist in my heart. And, and it could mean that my days would be shortened from what they might normally be. And I really would like to live long. And I really would like to preach into my 90s. And I really would like to have more grandchildren than just Jude. And I'm trying to give them books or something to get them going on this grandchildren stuff. I tell my son, do I need to get you a book or a library or something that get you going on this grandkid stuff yeah we're trying yeah, the other ones we're trying to get him married come on man it's grandkid time but hear me when i say it it doesn't matter if i go 70 80 90 years it doesn't matter the, my times are in his hands and this is the good news when my time ends I don't want to leave my wife. I love my wife. I love hanging around my life. I love my kids. I love my grandchildren. I love you. I love all of you. I would want to stay around you as long as I possibly could. I understand that. But something better yet awaits me. That's the lost part of the gospel. That's why people laid their lives down. That's why people gave it all. Because they really believed that when this life was over, something better existed. And I'm here to tell you, for those of you that have lost loved ones, and it was hard, and we bury them, and we, 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 we cry, and we grieve, and understood, but if they knew the Lord, they don't want to come back. And I'm sorry, honey, I love you, but if I die and I go on, I love you, but I'm not coming back. No, that's why we, I want to be with my Lord, like you should be. I want to be in His presence. I want to know the joys of of. of of all that exists in the eternal realm, the rewards of the righteous. This is good news here, folks. God knows the outcome. And if He takes me out, He takes me out. Glory be to God. And if I stay, I stay. Glory be to God. If I live, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't matter what happens, I win. <laughs> Amen. I'm preaching myself happy. But here's, here's just more good news. Number seven is this. The end, the end, after you've been sifted, is always return and restoration. You know, Peter didn't fare so well in his sifting. We know that. But let me tell you something. God used Peter amazingly because he was the voice of the day of Pentecost. He started, he started the local churches. He he had a ministry that was unbelievable. Now, it, it undoubtedly, he, he ended. He was, he was killed for his faith. We know that's how he ended. But God, out of that sifting, God used him for some incredibly over-the-top, off-the-chain purposes. Job. Job went through all of this, lost his beautiful family, lost all of his land, lost all of his possessions, lost all of his stuff. He had friends come by trying to interpret the whole deal for him, and they didn't even know what they were talking about. 
And there came a moment, if you'll read through the book of Job, when he came to the end and he acknowledged God's sovereignty in these matters, that he stopped and he said, who's your counselor? Certainly not me. And he began to pray for his friends. And he began to pray for others. And, and all of a sudden, the scripture tells us in those last chapters of the book of Job that God moved for him and everything was restored to him doubly of what he had. See, that's how God works. The sifting, the sifting is not fun, but the sifting produces that which is priceless. God is sifting our nation. Or at least he's allowing the sifting, I guess, but it's probably more precise. And he may be allowing you to be sifted. I know I've been sifted in some ways these past few years. But it's not for our destruction. It's for our benefit. And here's the good news. The good news is we're about ready. I just I sense it in my spirit. We're about ready to step out of the sifting season. And we're going to step into an amazing grace-filled blessing, blow our socks off, 30, 60, 100-fold return season because, because we allowed him to do his work in this time period, and what we thought was bringing destruction was actually bringing a blessing. Our adversity was leading us to a destiny. If you'll get that, not only for us as a group, but if you will get that for us, for you as an individual, Man, it'll, it'll change your whole framework and worldview. God's up to something good. I believe that. Amen. Stand with me, will you please?